Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, and you are so worthy of our praise and so worthy of our devotion. We come this morning with a desire to learn from you, a desire to meet with you, a desire to be strengthened in our relationship with you. Today, help us to lay aside any cares of life that we may have brought in. Let our hearts and minds be focused completely upon you. Speak to us through your word and help us to hear your voice and let us take it and apply it to our lives and let us go out and be better able, Lord, to be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. Let let all that we say and all that we do testify of the fact that Jesus is Lord over our lives. Lord, we love you and we want your will to be done today. We come and we do surrender who we are and what we are to you. God, work and do what you know needs to be done in each of our lives. Fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, when we're first saved, it is right and necessary for us to focus on ourselves. We focus on our salvation. We focus on our relationship with Jesus, our new relationship with Jesus. We we focus on our spiritual growth. and, And this is the way it has to be. This is the way that it should be. But as we grow closer to Jesus, as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, there is supposed to come a time where it goes from being me and Jesus to we and Jesus. But the closer I get to Jesus, the more I'm going to begin to care about others. I'm going to begin to care about the salvation of others. I'm going to care about the spiritual growth of others. I'm going to care about others and their relationship with Jesus. But Christianity was never meant to be lived out as me and Jesus and we don't need anyone else. Christianity was always meant to be lived out as we and Jesus go together and do what He wants us to do. Now, the New Testament emphasizes this with a series of one another statements. Over and over again in the New Testament, we find that there are certain things believers are to do to one another. This is especially something that is emphasized by the Apostle Paul who uses it somewhere around 40 times in his letters. And the idea of Paul using it so often is that the church of Jesus Christ can never be all that it was meant to be until we one another, one another. But in part of what it takes for every church to be what Jesus envisions it to be, what Jesus plans for it to be, is when every born-again child of God begins to say, me and Jesus, we and Jesus, and I'm going to live out my one another's towards the others that are a part of my church family. That's the way it's meant to be done. Now, the one another's, there's over 40, but in the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few specific ones. We're going to look at members of one another. And the idea of being members of one another... It is simply that we are meant, not meant to go it alone. Right? We are independently interdependent. We need each other. We always will. There will never come a time in your Christian life where you outgrow the need for other believers. We will always need one another. Another one is devoted to one another. Uh, since we have this love for one another, this agape love for one another, it causes us to prefer one another and to be devoted to one another in and through this love. Right? We are to serve one another. Right? We are to, to look for ways to help one another in our lives. We are to bear one another's burdens. Life is hard. People 
struggle and people fail. And as believers, we are meant to be there for one another, to help one another without condemnation and without judgment in order to help and to bear up one another's burdens. Receive one another. We're all different people. We're at different levels in our spiritual growth. We have different ideas and different backgrounds. And all of these varied backgrounds, though they're not meant to cause strife within the body, they're not meant to cause us to judge and condemn one another. Instead, we bear with one another. We, we accept each other where we are and as we are. Right? And then encourage one another. Do you ever notice the world is discouraging, isn't it? The world, the world likes to beat you down. The world likes to tell you all the reasons you stink and you can't do whatever it is you feel you ought to do. But when we get together, it it ought not to be that way. Instead of discouraging one another, we ought to encourage one another. Instead of pointing out all the reasons why we can't, we ought to be pointing out all the reasons why we can. We ought to be a church and a people that encourage one another. Now, all of those are good things, right? I mean, nobody's going to look at that list and say... Awful, awful, terrible things to do. Those are all good things. So what would keep us? I mean, especially as followers of Jesus Christ, filled with His Spirit, devoted to His Word, why would we not do those things for one another? Two reasons that we're going to talk about this morning. The first one is selfishness. The number one thing that will prevent us from one anothering one another is plain and simple selfishness. When I'm selfish, I focus on myself, my wishes, my wants, and my comfort. When I'm selfish, I won't do anything I don't want to do. And so I may want another, those I want to one another, as long as I want to one another, as long as it's convenient to one another them, but I won't put myself out for anyone because I am the most important person in the world. That there's never a time in which I should put myself out. That there's never a time in which I should sacrifice my time. There's never a time in which I should sacrifice my comfort. There's never a time in which I should sacrifice my presence, my, my preferences. There's never a time in which I should ever do anything that I don't want to do because I am the center of the universe and everything revolves around me. And that mindset, that selfish mindset, it will always prevent us from doing the one another's to one another. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we aren't meant to be a selfish people. We're meant to be selfless. Let me show you this in Scripture. Turn to Philippians 2. That's page 900 if you have a pew Bible. Philippians 2, Paul is calling for unity within the Philippian church. And he says, if there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affliction and mercy. Now, all of this is meant to say, well, of course, all of those things are a part of who we are as a church, right? There, of course, we have this mutual consolation in Christ. Uh, of course, we have this 
mutual comfort in love, the love of God for us and our love for one another. Of course, there is fellowship of the Spirit that that ties us together. Of course, we've all gone through afflictions. We've all needed God's mercy. Of course, all of these things are there. And since they are, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Now, all of these words, basically in verse 2, he is restating the same idea over and over again. Be of the like mind. Think the same way. Have unity in how you think. Having the same love. Be, be unified in the fact that you both love the same Lord. And the same Lord loves you. Being of one accord. right? Work together. Have this same idea, this same heart, this same mind. And in order to make this happen, in order for the unity of one and two to come to pass, verses three and four must be done. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is something that keeps us from from having unity within a local church. It, it, of course, would keep us from one another as well. Selfish ambition really is a desire. It is a desire to do what you want to do so that you can be seen. Right? It, is, it goes along with conceit. Selfish ambition will make us do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Right? Selfish ambition, I will want another someone, but only so that they'll owe me. With selfish ambition, I'll want another someone, but only so that others will see what I've done and say, golly, he's awful good Christian. Selfish ambition, it causes us really to, to lose any sort of a rewards for the stuff that we do because selfish ambition, it takes a right action and it makes it wrong because of our motivation. Selfish ambition, it takes something that is holy and it makes it unholy. Selfish ambition takes something that's pure and it makes it impure. Right? Selfish ambition, when that is my desire for the things that I do, particularly within the body of Christ, It is always wrong. And it always, while people may see it and people may honor it, be sure God sees it and God will not honor it. Think about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, when you do your good works to be seen of men, you have your reward. People may praise you. People may say how great you are. But God will have an entirely different view of that. So let nothing be done through selfish ambition. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now, not to do anything through selfish ambition. Our sinful nature pulls us to that in a lot of ways, and so that's hard. But let each esteem others as better than himself. That's brutally hard right there. And now, that's hard, that's hard for the best of us. But for those that are selfish... That's an intolerable position to take. Why would I ever esteem someone else as better than me? I am the center of the universe. My will, my want, my desires, they are king. And I should never, ever have to do anything that I don't want to do. And yet we're called on to esteem others as better than ourselves. Now, When we look at this, one of the things that we tend to do 
is we we focus this in the home, right? Which is right and good. But what we do is we narrowly apply it to the home. Right? I am to esteem Kelly is better than me. Kelly should esteem me is better than her. You are to esteem your spouse is better than you. But that's as far as we go with it. But as we think about that, we have to recognize Paul did not write this letter to the couples in Philippi, did he? Paul did not write this letter to the husbands and the wives of Philippi. He didn't write this letter to the families of Philippi. Who did he write this letter to? The church. The church at Philippi. Now, to be sure, whatever we do outside the home surely should start in the home. I should esteem Kelly better than myself. I should at home not do things through selfish ambition and conceit. But if that's the only place that I do that and I live that way, I am wrong. Right? And if that is the only place you live that way and you act that way, you are wrong. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are not only called to esteem our spouses it's better than us. We are to esteem one another as better than us. If you look around the room this morning, it is filled with people. You are to esteem better than yourself. It is filled with people that you are to try to serve without conceit and without selfishness and without trying to exalt yourself or bring them into your debt. We are to esteem one another as better than ourselves. And if we do that, what will happen next is unnatural. Then look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, if I'm not out for my glory, and if I'm not out to be lifted up and elevated, and if I esteem you as better than me, then it's going to be very easy for me to look out for your affairs as well to care about what's going on in your life, to be concerned about your spiritual life, to be concerned about your marriage, about your family, about about your life in general. But if I am selfish, if I am exalted to the center of the universe, there is no room in my universe for you. There is no room in my life for you unless it really benefits me in some way. And then I might can. But outside of that, it's just not possible. And we are, as believers, to reject selfishness and embrace selflessness so that we can esteem others as better than ourselves. That we can look out for the needs and the concerns of others and not just our own. Now, it does say for your own as well, right? So it's not a matter of I look out for other people to the point that I I just don't get anything for myself, that I'm left out in the cold and nothing is ever for me. To me, I tend to take that mindset, because I've heard people make that argument before, and I tend to take that mindset along with the idea of generosity. Because I've heard people explain with generosity, well, I would give more, but I need to make sure that we can do, you know, we can cover ourselves and we have for our family. But here's what I've seen in my life. I've seen a lot of people care for themselves financially into financial ruin and great debt. I've not yet to encounter one person that generous themselves into financial ruin or great debt. I don't know the person that has given to others so much 
that they couldn't pay their bills or feed their family or take care of their needs. I, I don't know that person. And I don't think it really happens. In the same way, I've never met a person that was so selfless that they neglected themselves. I've never met a person so selfless that they, they and theirs, and they neglected their family to care for other people's families. I just don't know that that exists. I think that's an excuse to justify our selfishness. Well, I have to have my me time. And I have to have my this and I have to have my that. And, and if I don't get my me time and my that and my this, then I can't, I don't have anything to give to others. No, you're just selfish. And that's the real answer to it. Now again, all of the one and others we're going to look at, those one and others are not just for the home. Now, to be sure, they start in the home. We should be doing all of these things within the home. And these things will help us with our marriages and our families. But they can't end in the home. They have to go outside of the home to the church. We are to do all of these one another's to one another in here. That is the, the way the church is meant to live. The one another's are meant to be the natural and normal way the follower of Jesus Christ lives their life. And so selfishness will keep us from doing that. But not only selfishness, also following the flesh instead of the Spirit. Now that should make pretty good sense to us because as we have read Scripture, we know that the Spirit and the flesh are always at work within us. They're always pulling us in opposite directions. The Spirit is pulling us to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. And the flesh, our sinful nature, is pulling us to do the opposite of that. And so, if I follow the flesh, then, then obviously I will not one another others. I will instead be selfish and I will live for myself. I want to show you this. Turn to Galatians. Uh, five. It's page 893, I think. It's just back a few pages in your Bible. should be. And, and look at verse Galatians 5 and 16. Galatians 5 and 16, the Apostle writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you, you, you shall not. And that's key. Not you should not or you might not, but you shall not. But I never follow the Spirit into living for the flesh. I never follow the Spirit into doing what my sinful nature wants. When I follow the Spirit, I shall not do, fulfill the lust of my flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, the one another I thought was interesting. I don't guess I had ever known that, recognized that it said one another like that. And it's the same word in the Greek that Paul uses in all of his other writings. And, and as I got to thinking about this, the, the idea that these two are in, in contrast against one another, I realized that there are negative one another's in Scripture too. Right? There are positive one another's and there are negative one another's. And the negative one another's, they flow out of the works of the flesh. Right? They flow out of a life that is surrendered to the flesh rather than a life that is surrendered to the Spirit. Now, Paul gives us an idea of what a flesh-controlled life looks like. Look at verse 19. And I'm not going to take time to explain all of these because we don't have that kind of time. 
But the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, are clearly seen. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. That's familiar. Dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, that's a pretty bad list. And notice that, and I've circled it in my Bible, he says, and the like. And what the end of the like means is this isn't a complete list of all the things that a person will do when they're led of their flesh, when their flesh controls their life. But it's a good idea, things that are like this. So when you look in Scripture and you find some, some negative one another's, right? and we're not going to look at them all individually, but I'll, I'll look at them and just kind of talk about them quickly. Here are some negative one another's that flow out of a life controlled by the flesh. But lusting for one another. That's pretty self-evident and explanatory. Judging one another. That's also self-explanatory. Now, biting one another, devouring one another, and destroying one another. All of those go together, as you can see by the verse reference, and they refer to the way we talk to and about people and interact with them. We, we do these things in a way to tear them down. Right? We're, we're not trying to help. We're not trying to be kind. We are doing all that we can to just kick them in the gut every chance that we get to destroy them in one way or another. Right? With our mouths. That is a, a work of the flesh. Uh, provoking one another. Right? When you provoke one another, you're, you're just doing stuff and saying stuff with the sole purpose of making them angry, getting a rise out of them. Envying one another, lying to one another, hating one another, slandering one another. Slandering one another would be lying about them, but within the context of James and the tongue, it also would speak of gossiping about one another. Well, now, I don't know if you heard, but I heard about this about so-and-so. Someone was telling me about Fred and, man, things they were doing. Slandering one another, work of the flesh. And then grumbling against one another. And if all of those you're going to look up, look up grumbling against one another. Because that verse, James says, don't grumble against one another, lest you be condemned. For the judge is standing at the door. And I got to thinking, surely, surely grumbling is more than just complaining about someone, right? Surely there's more to it since it talks about condemnation and God as a judge going to get us for it. But here's what grumbling means. Gropping about them. That's it. Essentially. Well, that preacher, I tell you, blah, 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 blah. Condemnation's coming. The judge is at the door. Those people at the church, they this, blah, 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 blah. Condemnation's coming. The judge is at the door. And, and we could probably take that with just people in general. Our work folks, people we encounter on a regular basis. And I think, man, why would that be such a big deal? But if you read the Old Testament, particularly the book of Numbers, how many times did God kill people among the Israelites for grumbling and griping? I'm going to say, and this is, I didn't study this out, I'm just guessing. So this is off the top of my head and I may be wrong. I think God killed more people for grumbling and griping in the time of the Exodus than He did for idolatry or adultery. God's obviously not overly thrilled about the grumbling and the griping that we might do about one another. Avoid grumbling against one another that you be not condemned. 
the judge is at the door. Now, that's a, that's a pretty terrible list. It's a pretty stark list of things that are actually fairly common in our world. But just as there are negatives, there are positives. Uh, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Again, I'm not going to have time to go through these in depth, but just to mention them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, the picture is of all of these positive character traits that flow out of our lives as we surrender to the Spirit. He fills us and He controls us in the way that we live. And there's a whole bunch of positive one another's um, that flow out of these, this fruit of the Spirit. Now, to save on time, I'm not going to mention the, the ones that we've already mentioned that we're going to be actually studying for the series. Right? But here's just some of the others. Being of the same mind to one another. Right? That's, that speaks of unity. Unity of purpose, unity of heart, unity of, of what we do, particularly within the church. Right? Edifying one another. Right? The world tears people down, but the church were meant to, to build one another up. Greeting one another. Now, this is interesting. Greet with a holy kiss. We won't be doing that. But greet one another was a term of it was a way of accepting them. When you greeted them, you were saying, "I accept you. I receive you. You're a part of you know my church family. You, I receive you as you are." That's what believers are supposed to do. The world, the world doesn't do that, does it? The world doesn't just necessarily accept people, but we should caring for one another. But the context of caring for one another is particularly in times of hardships. We, we care. Right? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We sorrow with those who sorrow. And by doing that, we show that we care for them. Uh, to be kind to one another. Kindness in the Bible it is really an active thing. We, we are kind. We see a need. We do what we can to meet that need. That is kindness. Um, submitting to one another. Man, again, there, there's a hard one right there, right? Now, the context, Ephesians 5.21, that's not even the one talking about wives submit to husbands. That's just believers in general. Submit to one another. How many problems in life, in churches and works and marriages, would be fixed? Done away with. Both groups were just submitting to one another. If neither person said, I have to have it my way, my way is the best way, I'm the only one that gets to choose. How many problems in life would be fixed we just submitted to one another. Esteem one another. We've talked about that one. Praying for one another. When was the last time you prayed for someone in your church family that you're not actually related to? When was the last time you prayed for your church, your church family? Pray for one another. Offering hospitality to one another. Now, hospitality is different than fellowship, which is the next one. Fellowship is kind of just hanging out together. You can do that anywhere. Hospitality in the New Testament actually in your home. Inviting people to come to your house. Having a meal together. Being together in that time. Offering hospitality to one another. Now, you look at that list and it's pretty obvious we're supposed to be a part of each other's lives, aren't we? I mean, it's supposed to be more than, hey, how are you? Oh, well, good to see you today. See each other at Walmart. Hey, how are you? Been praying for you. Right? I mean, it's supposed to be more than that. There's an active relationship that we're supposed to have with one another. Now, these two lists are quite different, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're not the same. So here's a, here's a hard question. Where do you see yourself more at? 
I mean, because we all want another in one way or another. Which one another list is more evident in your life? The flesh list? Do you see more of the fleshly one another's in your life? Or do you see more of the spirit one another's in your life? Now, here's what I thought about with this. I doubt anybody is all completely any of these. At least I hope or nobody's all completely that one. And if you're all completely that one, that's impressive. Come see me. I want to know how to do it. What I think most likely is we're probably, we're on both. So a bigger question, rather than which one am I, which one am I most, right? Because even though we're on both, probably, we're probably more on one than on the other. And so which one is it? If I see more of the Spirit-filled one another's in my life, keep it up. Work on the areas where you're on the flesh, but be encouraged. You're on the right track. Keep going. But what if you're not? What if you're more of the fleshly one another's? You need to see that as a problem. I mean, you really do, because being controlled by your sinful nature, that's not a minor issue in Scripture. I didn't mention it before, but if you look at Galatians 5.21, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what controls my life, it says a lot about my eternal destiny. It says a lot about where I am and my relationship with Jesus. Right? And so, it's not a minor thing to be on there and just go, oh, well, you know what? I'm mostly a fleshly-led person. Case or all, or all. That's just the way the world works. That's just the way that I am. But, and as we look at the one another's in Scripture, the positive ones, there's no indication that these are optional. But there's no indication that we are to be members of one another when we feel like it. Now, there's no indication that we're to be devoted to one another when it's convenient. There's no indication... That we're to bear with one another as long as what I'm bearing with fits within my natural personality. But none of these are seen as something that are added to or convenient. The picture is we do these things all the time. It is meant to be a normal way of life for believers to one another, one another. Right? The negative fleshly one another's, those should be the exceptions and not the rule. The positive one another's, they should be the rule in our lives and not the occasional. We have to be committed to living out the positive one another's and rejecting the negative ones. But this is a, a huge part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the perfect example of one anothering, right? He said this about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything Jesus did was a one another to others. When he taught people, that was a one another. When he healed people, that was a one another. When he died for our sins, that was a one another. It was the biggest one another. And by dying for our sins and, and living for the sake of others and one anothering others when it wasn't convenient, 
when it was difficult, when he was tired. He set an example that you and I, we are meant to follow. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If I say I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my life ought to back that up. My life ought to show it. And one of the ways my life shows it is by one anothering others. Putting others ahead of myself. And doing for them the things that Scripture says I'm supposed to do for the sake of others. But to do this, it requires sacrifice on our part. It requires selflessness on our part. But the reality is, selfless sacrifice for one another is meant to be a natural part of our lives as believers. A part of what happens as we follow the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not meant to be something that is extraordinary that we do occasionally. It's meant to be ordinary that we do naturally and all the time. But the unfortunate fact is, many believers today, they want all that Jesus offers without anything Jesus demands. We want heaven, but no cross. We want the good without the demands. We, we want... We want Jesus to take away our condemnation. And we want it so that we go to heaven when we die, but we don't want Him to expect anything of us right here and right now. But that's really not the way that it works. Jesus calls on us to be selfless and sacrificial in our lives. That's why we're to deny ourselves That's selfless. Take up our cross, that sacrifice. That's how He calls on us to live. That's how He expects us to live. Now, here's a question. If Jesus is not calling on us to live a selfish, self-serving life, who is? Who's leading us to be selfish and self-serving? Well, The world surely wants us to be selfish and self-serving. Our sinful nature surely wants us to be selfish and self-serving. And the devil surely wants us to be selfish and self-serving. But Jesus wants us to be selfless and sacrificial. So if I'm selfless and self-serving, who am I actually following in my life? Who am I becoming like in my life? Who is leading me all that I say and all that I do in my life? Certainly not Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we always follow the path of selflessness and sacrifice for the sake of others. Now, the changes from living a a flesh-controlled life to a spirit-controlled life, they're not minor changes. And they're not necessarily easy changes but they can be made. They can be made because Jesus died.
died for us and He made it possible for us to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is possible because the Spirit of the living God lives within us. And He leads us to live a life that imitates Jesus. And shamefully, for many people who profess Jesus, all they want in life is to go to heaven and not hell. And nothing in this life to be lived for Jesus in any way that is uncomfortable or challenging. But that's not what He offers. To follow Jesus, I have to take all of it. What happens far away in eternity and what He expects of me right now. But beyond the, the what I have to do, there is a what I can do. You know, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and our faith in that, it absolutely changes our eternal destiny. But it has real and practical implications for our life today. I mean, in this moment, there are things that are different about all of us because of our faith in Jesus and what He has accomplished in our lives. Read Romans 6 and 8. And they beautifully describe that as believers, we are dead to sin. We have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. And we have the Holy Spirit living within us that will lead us and enable us to do all of the things that Jesus wants us to do. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, not one of us ever has to do the negative one another's. We don't have to. We can not do the negative one another's. At the same time, Every believer in Jesus Christ in here this morning can always do the positive one another's. We have within us, and because of Jesus, the ability to choose to do the positive one another's every single time. That is a part of what it means that Jesus has conquered in our behalf. You know, Scripture describes believers as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Scripture says that we were born again to overcome. I mean, that means that there is something right here and right now that Jesus' death and resurrection means for me. Not just in the future, not just in eternity, but right now in this life. We have to believe that we can do these things. I mean, don't get me wrong, we struggle. Against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That struggle is always there. But we are not poor, pitiful people just trying to get by. The Spirit of the living God lives within us. The Son of God died on our behalf. Those are powerful things that have been done for us. We fight from a position of victory. Jesus has won the victory and we get to take part in that. We don't fight from defeat trying to be victors. We are victors that give in to defeat. We don't fight from a position of weakness. We fight from a position of strength because the Spirit of the living God lives within us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside every born-again child of God. That's a mighty powerful thing inside you and I. And we fight from a position of strength. The ability to overcome. But that is a choice that we have to make. 
That's something we have to decide. We have to choose, you know what, no more. No more failing. No more excuses. No more just giving up. Believers in Jesus Christ are not meant to live defeated, shucks, I just couldn't help it, kind of lives. Jesus Christ has set us free. Scripture says we are free indeed. Believe it. Embrace it as absolute truth. Expect that you can overcome. Expect the Holy Spirit to lead you to do what Jesus would have you to do. Expect to walk in victory and be able to put to death your sinful nature. And do not settle for anything less than what Scripture says is real and right and true and a part of what we receive as our inheritance in Christ. What we're going to study for the next few weeks, it has the power to change, the potential to change our lives, our church, and even our community, our homes, everything. But it's only transformative as we put it into practice. Truth that we don't apply does nothing for us, even if we believe it. That's huge. Just saying, I believe what the Bible says doesn't change you unless you begin to live what the Bible says. But that requires us to reject selfishness and embrace selflessness. Right now, if selfishness is something that you deal with in your life, if you want to, to be all that Jesus intends for you to be, you're going to have to quit excusing it. And you're going to have to quit saying, well, that's just how I am, because that's really not good enough. You're going to have to accept selfishness for what it is. It's a sin. And you're going to have to say, as long as I'm selfish, I am sinful. And as long as I'm selfish, I will never, ever be like Christ. Because we are never less like Jesus than when we are selfish. And we have to confess it as sin. And then we have to say, Lord, help me put this to death and not take it up any longer. It also requires us to follow the Spirit instead of the flesh. That struggle is always going to be there. If you say, well, I'll one another when I feel it's easier, you'll never do it. It never is going to get easier. The struggle's always there. The flesh is always going to pull you away. But what you're going to have to do is say, you know what, though? I can do it anyway. The Spirit of the living God is within me, and I can choose to do what Jesus wants me to do every single time. You're going to have to accept that following the flesh is a sinful decision every single time. And you're going to have to confess the fact that you have followed your sinful nature and done things Jesus did not want you to do and say, it is my fault and I did it. Forgive me. So often, we excuse doing the negative one another's and we justify not doing the positive one another's by saying that's just how I am. Here's the reality. Nothing in Scripture says we're ever called to be like we are naturally. We're a new creation. We're being changed from glory to glory. We're to strip off the old and put on the new. Who I am naturally, that doesn't matter. 
Jesus doesn't care about that. It's who I am through Him. That's what matters. And that's where we have to start living from. Even if I say, I don't see the Spirit-filled power that, that it talks about. The Bible says it's real, and if you believe the Bible, I believe what Scripture says, and I'm going to move out and act as though this were going to happen in my life. The one of the passages, these are going to be powerful. They're going to be challenging. They're going to be life-changing for us if we put them into practice. And there's not a person in this room that cannot put every single one of them into practice in their life. There's not a one of us that cannot do what Jesus has called us to do. It's a matter of us saying, I can and I will. No more excuses. No more minimizing. No more justifying. My negatives are sinful. My positives are the goal. I will move out in the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I will one another others. Stand.